0: Let's begin this morning with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel, the 28th chapter, beginning with the 16th verse, what is most commonly referred to as the Great Commission. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Now, I'm in a quandary this morning because this is both Great Commission Sunday and Trinity Sunday. I thought that for our purposes today, we did not need another theological discussion of the Trinity. What we really need is a discussion of the Great Commission. What has God called us to do? What has God challenged us to do? What has God empowered us to do. A few years ago, I was asked to preach at the first church I served as an ordained minister. It was almost 30 years to the day that I had preached my first sermon in that pulpit. And I asked myself, as I pondered the 30 years of ministry between my first sermon there and this sermon, what it was that had propelled me as a pastor. And I wanted to share it with them. So let's set the Wayback Machine to 1976. And I am a camp counselor at Malaga Camp in South Jersey. Friday night comes and the pastor for the week, what we used to call in the old day, the evangelist, gives a message and a call, and we are trained to share the gospel. I was trained back in the day to use the four spiritual laws to share the gospel. Law one being God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I had volunteered not to work the altar, but to uh, seek out the lost sheep. There's always a, a, a teenager or two who find it difficult to go forward to an altar, but they might seclude themselves. And sure enough, just outside the tabernacle, I came across a a young lady bawling, tears of repentance, tears of joy at what God had done for her. And I sat down and I said, Kim, are you okay? And she said, I don't know how to be a Christian. So, I whipped out my trusty four spiritual laws and I shared with Kim in very simple, plain terms the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she and I prayed together. And she's the first person I led to Christ. So, set the Wayback Machine to 1985. I'm a young seminarian and I'm working at a Christian Endeavor camp called Four Brooks. And on the last day of camp, I'd been a counselor and a teacher for the classes during the day. On the last day of camp, the evangelist was sick. And he had to leave, and there was nobody to give the final message, the call to discipleship. And they asked me. I don't even remember what it was that I preached, but I remember that at the end of the service, when I gave the call for people to make a decision for Christ. About 30 young people came forward, and I was hooked. All I wanted to do for the rest of my life was tell people about Jesus. Now I want you to know that I didn't always lead people to Christ by myself. Sometimes you can lead people to Christ by bringing them to a place or an event or a speaker that you know is going to give a gospel message. Back to that first church, I served as an ordained pastor. I had a youth group, and I took about 40 kids to their first winter retreat. It was called Winter Happening, also run by Christian Endeavor. And at that retreat, nine of those young people gave their hearts to Christ. Later in my ministry, I served at the Echelon Mall ministry, And we saw an average of 150 people a year make a decision for Christ. And I was there for six years. So between 900 and 1,000 people came to know Christ through the efforts of the Echelon Mall Ministry, teens and young adults. Later, I was called to be the director of New Jersey Christian Endeavor And we ran Christian camps, all with an evangelical focus, for the spring, the summer, and the winter, and the fall. And over my my time there, we saw about 60 young people a year make decisions for Christ. And I was with them for six years, concurrent when I was at the mall ministry. We saw well over 350 young people make decisions. Decisions for Christ. Of course, on and off in this time, I served as a youth pastor and again saw about another hundred teenagers make decisions for Christ, either through my ministry or taking them to camping ministries or revivals. And finally, I, uh, I've i been serving as the keynote speaker for Christian Endeavor Mission Weeks for About 18 years. And in those 18 years, we've seen approximately 50 young people a year make a decision for Christ. And excitingly, about five young people a year make a decision to go into full-time Christian service. One of the first years I spoke at, at work camp, Mission Weeks, My uh, sons were campers at the event, and at the end of the week, we gave a call to discipleship, a call to make a decision for Christ, and a call to answer God's Spirit's tug at your heart to be in full-time Christian service. I volunteered to serve in that room and to counsel with those young people. And when the service was ended, we encouraged the young people to go to one of three rooms, a room to make a first-time decision, a, uh, a room to recommit what we call 24-7 to Christ, and a room for those that were called to full-time Christian ministry. We gave that group the smallest room because not many young people ever go to that room. I went to the room and it was empty, which didn't surprise me because taking that step to be a full-time Christian pastor, missionary, is a difficult choice. Jeff, who ran the camp, came and found me and he said, "Uh, you need to come with me. And I said, why? He said, you'll see. And he took me to another room, a larger room that was filled with young people. Young people doing the difficult work of answering the Holy Spirit's call. There were too many young people to fit into that small room we had set aside for those called to full-time Christian service. And I'm honored to say that that's the day my oldest son was called into ministry. That's the day that God touched his heart the message he shared through me. In the text today, Jesus is saying his truly final words to the disciples. The last few weeks we talked about what he said before his death and resurrection. But now he's about to ascend into heaven and they will not see him again, as he promised, until he shares the communion meal with them in heaven. What does he say? He says, go, teach, make disciples. Where? To all nations. Now the disciples answered that call, but it's not just a call for the ordained. It's not just a call for the deacons. It's not just a call for the Sunday school teachers. It's a call for each and every one of us. The Church Growth Institute in Lynchburg, Virginia, calls this frangelism. Did you know that all the research about people who join the church says that 75 to 80% of them were brought into the church by friends and family? In fact, the Church Growth Institute calls this frangelism. Only 9% are there because of the pastor and 2% because of Sunday school teachers. In the book, The Greatest Salesman Whoever Was, the author says the average person, think about this, knows about 250 people, some more, some less, but the average is 250. That means that if each one of you brought just one person to worship, and that person became an active, faithful member of our congregation, we would double our worship attendance. We'd have to start new worship service, new classes, new ministries, probably be Begin cam- plans for a next phase to potentially wind up never having to mention financial struggles again. When Jesus said, Go into all the world, he was calling each of us to be a missionary as well as an ambassador. Some of you might answer the call to be an overseas ministry. For most, the call to be a missionary is a call to the mission field in your backyard. The world or people you know and like and who know and like you. The world of your family. The world of your friends. Jesus says, go. Now, a good number of this evangelism would be in inviting, but I have a funny story for you. A true story. Rebecca Pippert, the author of Out of the Salt Shake Into the World, tells of a time she was sitting at her car at a traffic light with her windows rolled down. As the light turned green, a car drove by and its occupant threw something into her car, hitting her on the cheek. It didn't hurt, but it certainly startled her, and she was so startled she pulled over immediately. When she unrolled the paper, she discovered that it was a gospel tract. She says she was the apparent victim of what she refers to as torpedo evangelism. I'm sure the torpedoer meant well, at least I hope so, but they did the wrong thing for the right reason in the wrong way. It was like throwing spiritual spaghetti at the wall or at a sinner to see what sticks. Have you ever had the opportunity to either lead a person to Christ or to bring somebody to an event, a revival, where they had the opportunity to make a decision for Christ? Have you ever been that ambassador that said, come and meet the risen Savior? Now you have to go And in my ministry, I've gone as far as upstate New York and as far south as North Carolina. I've been to Malaga camp. I've been to Pittsburgh. I've been to West Virginia. I've been all over New Jersey for camps and conferences. Why? Because Jesus' first thing that he says to the disciples and to us is go. Well, once you go, you still have to tell, teach, and ask. Now, we're not asking you to throw Bible tracts through open windows. That's a little bit ridiculous. But what what we are asking you to do is to take the risk, put yourself out there, and say to someone, hey, we've got exciting things going on at our church. Or... There's a Christian concert coming up, or have you ever seen this Christian movie? Would you like to go? Would you like to listen? Would you like to watch it with me? True story, I used to sell commercial uh, burglar alarms. And it was cold call door to door. And one day I went to a town in South Jersey, a small town. And I I went to the first store and I introduced myself to the owner. And he said, are you selling the MRL, which was the name of the device? I said, well, yes, I am. He said, how can I get one? I didn't have to demonstrate. I didn't have to explain. This guy was jumping out of his skin to buy an MRL a commercial burglar alarm system for his store. I did the paperwork and sure enough, we sold it to him. I go a couple doors down and sure enough, the owner says, are you selling the MRL? And I said, yes, I am. And I was amazed. Same thing happened. No demonstration, no hard selling. This guy was chomping at the bit to buy the product. By the end of the week, I had sold eight MRLs in this small town. There was a main street and almost every store by the time I was done on this main street had an MRL. The commissions were nice and I thought, wow, (laughs) this is the way it's supposed to be. And on Saturday mornings, we had to go to the main office and have uh, a business meeting. They would try to pump us up with new features of the the system and we would tell stories about our successes and and sometimes funny stories about our failures madison the boss says come up front thomas he says come up front so thomas and i go to the front he says thomas what town were you in this week and he he says the name of the small town in south jersey he said how many did you sell Thomas says, that's an impossible town. I did not sell one system. Madison, the boss says, where were you this week? And I look over at at Thomas and, and I say the same name of the town. And our eyes meet and we both have this quizzical look. And he says, Madison, how many did you sell? And I said, well, I sold eight. And the boss looks out to all the salesmen and he says, we just learned something very important. Thomas, when were you there? And Thomas had been there two days before I had. Thomas had introduced the product. He had demonstrated the product. He had actually sold them. They were ready to buy the product. But he was so convinced that they would say no. He never asked for the sale. Think about that. He never asked. Asked for the sale. You have people in your life that are yearning for a relationship with God and all they need is for you to invite them. Are you ready to ask for the sale? Now, I want to be fair because evangelism is difficult for all of us and uh, there was a survey done. What are the fears that people have What's holding them back from sharing the gospel? Some of the things people said were, I'm afraid I I might do more harm than good. I don't know what to say. I may not be able to give snappy answers to tricky questions. I may invade someone's privacy. I'm afraid I might fail. I'm afraid they might think I'm a hypocrite. Perhaps the most common fear, however, is the fear of being rejected. A survey was given to those attending training sessions for Billy Graham's crusade in Detroit. And one question asked, what is your greatest hindrance in witnessing? 9% that they would be too busy to remember to do it. 28% felt the lack of real information to share. Nobody said they really didn't care. 12% said their own lives were not speaking as they should. But the largest group, 51%, whose biggest problem was the fear of how other people would react. In cognitive therapy, we often say to patients who are having a difficult time making a decision, we say, what's the worst thing that can happen? And if the worst thing that could happen is that they say no, is that really the worst thing that can happen? Better that you ask and they say no than you don't ask and they never have the opportunity to meet Jesus. When I was a youth pastor many years ago, we gave awards out at the end of the year. They were called the Oscars. We used a a little... Film canister with a green fuzzy ball, and we would put googly eyes on it. Get it? The Oscars, like Oscar from Sesame Street, and we we made these awards up every year. You know, uh, the silliest guy on a camping trip, the best football catch, and but I made up an award one year, and we called it the Andrew Award. Do you remember that Andrew went and found his brother Peter and brought him to Jesus, and that's when Peter the rock upon which Jesus built his church, and Jesus met. Andrew brought him to Jesus. Well, for three years running, the Andrew Award went to Julia. Julia had a gift for always bringing a new friend as a guest. Julia, we say, we have this event coming, bring friends. You got it, and a new friend would arrive. And one by one, Julia's friends all had the opportunity to make a decision for Christ. Not all of them made a decision for Christ, but because of Julia, they all had the opportunity. Well, in this time of quarantine, we can't really invite a person to church. Hopefully, by the end of this month, maybe we'll be having outside services, But you can invite them to look at the resources that our church is providing. Invite them to look at Madison's Musings on Spotify, Apple, or uh, Google Podcasts. We just hit our 330th listen since we started this quarantine on May 15th. We're seeing 27 to 28 people a week. Tune in to our, our church's sermons. That's exciting because you know that at the end of every sermon, there's a call to make a decision for Christ. The daily devotionals have been shared by many people, not always church people, but if you, if you look at them, some of them have reached as many as 253 people in one devotional. Well, today was my 75th devotional. And if we're hitting between 100 and 150 people a day. That means we've reached over 10,000 people with our devotionals. Tell somebody to check into the church's page, or better yet, when you see a devotional that speaks to your heart, hit like and share to your page. The more people that hear the good news, the more we're answering the Great Commission. Or perhaps it's time for you to pray about Somebody that you need to invite. Somebody that you need to bring to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd like to finish with this story. It's a story of a a raw recruit who is standing at attention on the drill field. And the drill instructor yells, forward march! And the entire rank begins to move, all except this one raw recruit. He's still standing there at attention. So the drill instructor strolls over to him and yells in his right ear, Is this thing working? Sir, yes, sir, the recruit yells. Then the drill instructor walks around to the other ear and yells, Is this thing working? Sir, yes, sir, the soldier says. Then why didn't you march when I gave the order? Sir, I didn't hear you call my name. Some of us are just like that soldier standing around waiting for God to call our names. But the Great Commission is a blanket order. It has everyone's name on it. And you can be sure that the man in charge says, go disciple and teach. If you've never made a decision for Christ, we invite you to talk to someone, perhaps a deacon or a pastor from our church. You can contact us through our Facebook page, and we would love to pray with you. Or perhaps it's in this time of quarantine you felt separate from God or the family of God. You could take today to recommit your life to the work, worship, and service of Jesus Christ. Or, as I said earlier, maybe you could take this time to pray about inviting someone to a worship service to experience the love and the fellowship of the family of God and to hear the good news. Don't wait to hear your name. The Savior says, go.